You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. good to be here. I've said that many times, and this time it's even more meaningful. I wanted to share just a little bit about my hospital experience before I went into the message. I want to just speak from my heart. Well, I did write some notes. When I first got to the hospital, I was so sick, I could hardly function. I have a lot of gaps in my memory because my sodium had dropped so low. <clears throat> you hear my voice is not quite 100%. My sodium levels had fallen to the point where they said people don't survive that low of a number. So death was a possibility. But I can honestly say during that whole time, not once did I experience any fear. No fear whatsoever. At least I can't remember it. If I was afraid, I don't remember being afraid. But they got me up there somehow. (laughs) They dumped me into the bed. And I remember laying in the bed and thinking, you know, I might live, I might not. And God immediately assured me that I would live with the verse that's on the board. That came to me. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So I had the assurance almost right from the beginning that I really wasn't going to die. It just felt that way. (laughs) But then I asked the Lord, as they, like I said, they dumped me into bed, and I was pretty much non-functional at the time, and I said, I'm not going to ask you why, because at least for me, that question is very rarely answered. He very rarely tells me why he's doing something, but he will tell you what he wants of you. And so I said, I'm not going to ask you why, I'm going to ask you what do you want from me? And the answer came quickly, and it came clearly. Even in the midst of my, like, dysfunction, He said, use this time to get to know me better. I knew I was going to be in there a while because it really didn't matter how I felt. I wasn't going to be discharged on how I felt. I would only be discharged when those levels came back up to where they needed to be. And they couldn't raise them too fast, so it was a long process. They'd raise it, it got up too high, they'd drop it. Raise it, drop it. So I knew I was going to be in there for a while, and I had time to get to know him better, and so that's what I did. (laughs) Then he also began to show me some stuff, and that's what I want to share with you today. It's going to be wrapped in the midst of a normal sermon. It'll especially come at the end, but he showed me some stuff. Barry? He showed me some stuff of what is happening to the church while I was in there, of what's going on. 
from the enemy's perspective and from God's perspective. And so if you're wondering, I think most of you already know, but if you're wondering, I may be able to clear that up, take away some of the confusion for us, especially near the end of the message. I share what God gave me in the hospital. But I have some things to say before that. There's some things that we need to hear. If you remember in Acts 11:21, the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed, and they turned to the Lord. 11:24, almost the same thing. He was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. This great number in 1124 is in addition to the great number in 21. So souls were getting saved all over the place. Here in Acts chapter 11. New converts, new believers, many Gentiles, many people coming to faith in Christ. Revival, awakening, harvest were happening. The last time we learned that, that we were together, it's October 31st, believe it or not. I know. It's crazy. The last time we were together, we learned that since many of these converts to Christ were Gentiles, that concerned the church in Jerusalem. So they sent Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas became quickly convinced this was a move of God. He was filled with joy. He encouraged them to persevere, give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. Barnabas' response, which could have shut down that move of God... Instead, it allowed the move of God to continue. He was a great man. Today, we want to look at what Barnabas did next because it's so crucial to sustain a move of God. Not only did he handle the current situation correctly, he knew just what was needed next. And we need folks like that, men of Issachar, men who know God and they understand the times and they know what to do. And that was Barnabas. So then Barnabas, this is what he did next. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant move. Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why Saul? Remember Saul? That fire-breathing dragon persecuting the church? Why Saul? But then remember his dynamic, glorious salvation experience. And he tried to become a part of the church back then, but they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have him. The, persecuted became, the persecutor became the persecuted, and they ran him out of town. And he had to escape to Tarsus, his hometown. That's a city in Turkey, present-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles from where this stuff in Acts 11 is happening. So Saul disappeared for three years. Three years passed. But Barnabas brilliant, he recognizes that this scholar of the scriptures is exactly what is now needed to sustain this move of God. You following? They had experienced all the emotion of salvation. Oh, it's just great. We're now saved and we just, it's, it's wonderful. That whole emotional deal. They were experiencing revival. People, whole households were getting saved at one time. But now they needed to be taught. 
They needed to be grounded in the word and grounded in faith. And Saul, who became Paul later, Saul is the guy who could do just that. He was brilliant. He was, he was learned in the scriptures. He understood how the Old Testament spoke about Jesus. You know, he ended up writing 13 of the letters in the New Testament. He's the man for the hour. And Barnabas recognized that and went and got him. So he sets out for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Then both of them stayed there with the church. This is the expanded church from the revival. Teaching large crowds of people. They stayed there for a full year teaching them. He finds Saul. He brings him back. They now embark on the second part of the church's mission. One that for some for some reason, for a variety of reasons, one that's so often overlooked by the church, but one that's so extremely vital in sustaining a move of God. Uh, today's title is actually, They Need to Be Taught. New believers need to be taught. Some of us need to be taught. We need to be taught his ways. We, we need to be taught how to live a transformed life. Not the life we lived before we got saved. We need to be taught. New believers especially need to be taught. We call it discipleship. The mission of the church, it's full-orbed. It's a full-orbed mission. It's a multifaceted mission. You know it. Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's something we need to learn more about in these days ahead. So Satan can't so easily toss us around the way he has been. But I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands or all the instructions that I have given you. And it doesn't just say go lead folks in a sinner's prayer. Though that's extremely important because you don't become a disciple without it. That's how you become a disciple, is you pray a sinner's prayer of some sort, appealing to the Lord for salvation. That's where it starts, but it can't end there. For many folks, it ends there. And they stay at entry-level Christian for the rest of their lives. And I'm going to show you the problem with that. It's a big problem. It's a huge problem. It says, go and make disciples, teaching them. A disciple is actually a learner. A disciple is a follower of a certain person or a certain teaching. You know, in Christianity, of course, the person that we follow is Jesus Christ. And the teaching is the scripture. It's the word of God. We want to learn all about him. Use this time to get, me, to, get to know me better, he said. Well, I've been a Christian for 41 years, Lord. Don't I already know you pretty fully? Use this time to get to know me better. We want to learn all about him. We need to know his will in matters so we're not guessing and making wrong decisions. We need to know, we need to know his ways. We need to know how he works how he works in society, 
how he works in our lives. We need to know that. The mission simplified is two parts. Helping folks who don't know Jesus come to know him. That's where it starts. Then teaching those who come to know him all about him. In Acts 11, many are coming to know Jesus. The task now at hand is teaching them all about him. Thank God for Barnabas, who understood that. He went and he got Saul. He found him, found him. Both of them stayed there for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. See, the record now shifts. Up to now in Acts, it's been all about people coming to know the Lord. It's been all about the revival. It's just been huge crowds being swept into the church by the Holy Spirit. And now the record shifts from the salvation experiences to the teaching emphasis. The emphasis now is no longer on these folks coming to know the Lord. That's accomplished. The emphasis on, is on teaching these folks who have come to know the Lord. We have a tendency to... When a person becomes a Christian, it's like a newborn baby. You're actually born again. And we have a tendency to rejoice in that and walk away and leave the baby in the birthing room. And many times the baby doesn't survive. Didn't they just accept the Lord? Well, where are they? It's been six months. Where are they? The Holy Spirit has been sweeping these precious Gentile souls into the kingdom, into the church. Now it's the church's responsibility to teach them. And this is where we want to move into why. Why is it so important that new believers be taught about Jesus? Why isn't it just enough? Why isn't just getting saved enough? You can have a chance to respond to that if you'd like. Why isn't that enough? Why must they be taught, discipled? Pardon? There's so much to know. Okay. Because we have a purpose. What's that? Okay. So teaching will help us spread the gospel. So we need to be taught so we can disciple others. But that still doesn't really answer the question why discipleship is necessary in the first place. I mean, at least that part. You need a solid foundation. And then there has to be the question, but, but why? Okay? Jesus saved us. He saved me January 16th, 1980. He did not take me home. I did not change right away. I continued to drink heavy. I continued to live the way I lived pretty much before I got saved. Only now, I considered myself saved. And then the teaching began. The pastor took me under his wing. In 10 years, he taught me. And others took me under their wing and they taught me. Why was that so important? 
getting close to the answer. Okay, Stace? We're getting really close now. Stacy said, so that we can live for him. So that we can begin living transformed lives. That's why. Hold your thought, Carlos. It's, it's vitally important that new believers be taught because the gospel message, it's intended to impact not just our eternal salvation. That's the first impact. It's to have a positive influence on the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. There's a national concept in God's heart. It's about your individual salvation, but it's about so much more than that. The church fell into this trap of it made it all about me. You know, even those of us who are being taught, it was all about me just so that I learned more and I gained more knowledge. But what good is that? Scripture says knowledge puffs up. It leads to pride. There has to be a reason that we're being taught and that we're being discipled. Or Jesus would have taken us home as soon as he saved us. He doesn't want us here suffering all this stuff. We're here only because we must be in his grand scheme of things. And I've said this before, and you know it's true. Thank God the person that Jesus didn't take home the person when they got saved, who led you to the Lord? Or where would you be? That person had to stay here and suffer the stuff of life so that he could reach you. Or she could reach you. But it's still even more than that. And this is what God wants to talk to us about today. And it's where the church should move in our thinking in these days ahead. Are you with me? I got a lot to say. See, the intention in God's heart is that as more and more individuals within a nation get saved, it should impact the nation. Did you hear me? It should impact the nation. As more and more believers, new converts in a nation, it should impact the nation. God's intention has always been that salvation would affect all the social and all the cultural institutions within a nation. We're not saved for isolation. We thought we were. We had our fire insurance, and that's all that really mattered. And we missed it. And we're paying the price for it. Our nation is paying the price for the church's ignorance in this. Government, academia, media, the arts and entertainment, our families, our neighborhoods, they're all to be impacted when we become a Christian. That's why we're to be bold. This is the call of the future for the church in America. We need to be bold and we need to share what we know about Jesus. 
Not just God's salvation ways, very important. Not just how to get saved, more than that. We need to be able to share God's ways, his will for society and in different situations and in different issues that are being discussed. We have a tendency to keep quiet when we know what God's will would be and we don't speak up for whatever reason. And that has to change. Not obnoxious. I don't want anybody to go out and become obnoxious. But when God gives us an opportunity to share what we know about him and his ways and his work and his will, we need to share that. And we need to become an influence. That's God's intention in our salvation. We're not to be the silent majority that we're often told we are. We're not to be a subculture in the nation. We are to be a loud influence in the culture of our nation. In a sense, we need to stop sitting sitting still and tolerating a lot of this stuff. It's hard to find that balance, though, becoming, uh, you know, like arrogant and uh, uh, what was the word I used earlier? Offensive. That's not going to accomplish anything. But bold and firm and confident. I may have told you this story before. I'm fairly certain I did. There's a representative named Struby. And he was in the debate in, in a committee of Congress, and the debate was on all this gender confusion and same-sex marriage and all of that. And he began to share from Genesis. In the beginning, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And he was told by the chairman of the committee, your God and your religious values have no place in this Congress. He was dead wrong. It's exactly where that stuff has to be spoken. But of course, we usually shut down under that pressure. Now, praise God, there are many who are not shutting down anymore. There's a rising remnant of the church who are taking it to the world. But that's right where the gospel of Christ belongs, in Congress. This message that the kingdom of heaven invaded earth 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, now in his followers, now believers and in the church, in you and in me. The gospel of Christ is in us and it's invading the earth. It's a great hiccup there, Carlos. Move an amen, I'll accept the hiccup. Here's the thing for us to know right now. What we're trying to say today is that this does not happen solely through folks getting saved. You don't become an influence in society just by getting saved. You become an influence in society when you begin to be taught 
all about him and his ways. And your life starts to transform. And then you can speak into other lives and into other situations and issues that we face. It happens when those who come to know him are taught all about him. His will, his ways, his, the ways he works in society and in, in, in issues and circumstances. You know this verse. I have it from the King James Version. That's my favorite version for this verse. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Okay. That's salvation, and it has to start there. It starts with salvation of a lost soul. But as we said, it cannot end there. Great illustration of this. Most of you weren't around for it. I was. <laughs> Steve, you were. <laughs> uh, Ron might have been. Ray Keck, probably. Steve Smith. The Jesus Movement. Bob's always overlooked. Bob, were you around during the Jesus movement? Yes, you were. <laughs> so we had this Jesus movement in the United States. Many lost souls came to know Jesus in the late 60s and the early 70s. Some estimate millions. But for whatever reason, the church never discipled them. Many of them, the way they looked when they showed up at the church, they weren't even allowed in. And then they were bringing this teaching of the Holy Spirit with them, this charismatic teaching of the Holy Spirit that the church didn't really want to hear. And so they were left outside the doors of the church. They were never discipled. And guess what happened, or I should say didn't happen? The culture was never impacted by the Jesus movement. Many souls were saved, but the culture was never impacted. It just kept going to hell all around these millions of souls getting saved and the church doing its own thing and not realizing the time of God's visitation. The institutions of society were left untouched by the influence of Christ. That's why even with that huge movement of God in our nation, our nation is in the condition we're in today. Many of those new believers, the Jesus movement guys, the hippies and the beatniks and rebels and whatever else, Many of those new believers ended up conformed more to the world than to Christ. They were never discipled. They were never taught his ways. They got saved, but they never learned to live a transformed Christian life. Therefore, they had no impact, no influence. They became influenced instead of becoming influencers. We're influencers. I hope you know that. We are influencers. It's who we are in Christ. We carry the fragrance of Christ with us wherever we go. 
The church in that generation, 60s, 70s, failed to recognize the day of God's visitation to America. Oh, that the church today in our generation, us, we will recognize the day of God's current visitation to America, and we won't miss it. Praise God, we get a do-over. Forty-four or five decades later, we get a do-over. Many of you weren't even alive then, so it's a first chance for you. Many of us were alive. It's a do-over for us. Wish I could remember what my next note is. I would continue on. By the way, if you're into that kind of a thing, we need to get a group hug before we leave today. I've hugged a lot of you guys as individuals. I want a group hug. CCF, church family, group hug. We need it. So if folks get saved and they come to Christ, but they do not begin to transform in their own lives and they do not begin to impact culture and society, it falls short of God's intention in salvation. It's not just about you now are going to heaven. That's, that's huge. That's part of it. But if it was all about that, he'd already take you there when you got saved. No, it's all about discipleship. It's all about teaching new believers about Jesus, his word and his ways, and how he expects us to live life, and how he expects us to live life in the midst of this stuff. I want to tell you something about COVID, because I had it, and it almost took my life. And as I told you, there was not one ounce of fear during that whole time, not one ounce of fear. We can't fear COVID. It thrives on fear. It's a demonic sickness that thrives on fear. It's a virus, I know. It can be traced, but it thrives on fear. If you stay home from church because you're not feeling well, that's one thing. That's understandable. If you stay home from church because you're afraid of getting sick, you're playing right into Satan's hands. We cannot fear this. We have authority over it. We need to learn how to exercise that, but we have authority over it. Here's a familiar verse as we get very near to a close. I told you I had some things I wanted to say today. I still have a few. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's not just tucked in there in the end for some nicey-nice. I will heal their land. See, it's not just about, not just about. Please hear me, though. Don't mishear me. It's not just about people getting right with God. That's so important. 
But there's a reason why we get right with God. It's the people who are getting right with God who become an influence in the land. And that's what God's after. God wants to change our social institutions that have turned away from him. But that comes through us and our influence. Must be something important being said here. I'm just, I'm about that close. I need those notes. No, no pressure, Barry. All this control from the guy? Thanks. Hey, listen, if you think about the nation Israel, when Israel experienced revival, what began to happen in the land? The people didn't just get right with God. They didn't just get saved. What happened in the land? Think about it. What's that? The land became healed, but it's because of them. They began to tear down the high places. They went after the evil in the land. They overturned the altars, and, and back then they, they killed you if you, if you continued the, the Baal worship and the child sacrifice. When revival hits, the nation becomes impacted by the believers in the nation. It's not just about getting right. It's what you do under God's leading once you get right with him. What he calls you to do. The influence he calls you to be. The voice that he calls you to carry against some of these evil issues in our land today. Where are the voices speaking against it? You bring it up today from, from the nation Israel, as evil as they had gotten, but during their at least brief times of revival, they would begin to clean up that evil. America today, evil has gotten entrenched in many of our cultural institutions. And it's threatening the very fabric of our society. Government, academia, media, the arts, entertainment, etc., have all turned away from God. They do not recognize him, and they do not recognize his ways. Like Representative Struby was told, your God and your religious values and scripture has no place in this Congress. Wrong. Sean Foyt, thousands of folks now in over 140 cities are coming to the Lord. It's probably rivaling the, the Jesus movement through his ministry. We experienced some of that. We saw over 7,000 gathered here, and we saw a huge number of them respond to various altar calls to get right with God. If they're not now discipled and taught, if they're not taught about Jesus, if they're not taught his word, if they're not taught his ways, his ways of working, 
if they're not taught what his will is in situations, if they're not taught what it means to become a follower of Christ, then we're going to have a repeat of the Jesus movement. We need to know this for our church in these days ahead. And you look right now, we have all these empty pews. And you think, what, what harvest? I'm telling you, the harvest is coming. The word has not changed. Shepherd your flock. Prepare this church to receive the harvest. What we need to know is that discipleship is the key in this current move of God to sustain it. That's something as elders we need to be talking about, something as congregants we need to be thinking about. How will we? Scripture tells us we must teach them. It doesn't really show us exactly how to do that. We need to figure that out on our own. Well, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, how we're going to do that. But we got to do that. We can't let them come in the door and welcome them and hug them and they go out and that's the end of it. What are we going to do for them? Many of them have needs that, that have to be met, as well as a desperate need to be taught about Jesus. Otherwise, they're going to go right back to whatever they were delivered from out there at Glory Field. They're going to go right back to that. How do I get to the next slide, Barry? I just want to get to the end here. It works the same, works the same way. Okay. Real quick, close it up. Somebody was supposed to read. I never called you further. Stace, I called you forward. Sorry about that. Okay. Don't worry, Melissa, I haven't forgotten about you, though. You're praying. You're not getting off the hook. So here's how this whole passage in, in Acts 11 closes. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings, and he predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. That's not the important part for us. This next one, this next is. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Everyone gave or giving as much as they could. Just getting saved would have never brought that generous response. But as they had been taught for a year by Peter and Paul, they understood we have a responsibility here. They hated the Jews. Yeah, Gentiles hated Jews. Jews hated Gentiles, and yet they had so transformed already in their thinking that the Gentiles took up an offering and sent it to the Jerusalem church, a church which wasn't even going to accept them. But that's how much they changed, and that's the impact they began to have because they were being taught. They were being discipled. They never would have done that just because they got saved. Follow me. Okay. Imagine the positive transformation that will happen in our society 
If all the new believers coming to Christ in this current move of God get discipled, and some of them work in government, see, and some of them work in media, and some of them work in schools, and they begin to take this fragrance of Christ into those institutions, that's God's intention in salvation. Okay, so Melissa, you're going to come in one minute. Before you do, I want to make some comments of what God was showing me in the hospital related to what has just happened to us. I want to give meaning. I want to try to give some meaning to what we have just experienced. Because some of us are having a hard time wrapping our minds around it. Many of us have been wondering We were caught off guard about two or three weeks ago when 10, 12 people in the church tested positive. Of course, we lost our brother Ray. I went into the hospital. Things were just in turmoil and confusion. The elders had to call emergency meetings to try and decide how to move forward as a church. And I was of no help. And I was really of no help to Dawn at that time with the situation with Ray, because I'm laid up in the hospital with COVID. What was that all about? God wants us to know from his perspective, this interference that has hit us, or that we had hit, had hit, because I believe we're past it now. Ron had a vision of the Holy Spirit blowing this dark cloud off of our church, and I believe that was very significant. But God wants us to know from his perspective because we got confused. This is interference that hit us, that's come upon us, though it's been bumpy and it's been extremely difficult. It's not light stuff. But this interference... This rumble strip has changed nothing from God's perspective. We didn't miss it. He's not mad at us. It's nothing like that at all. The mission has not changed. God's plans and purposes for us have not changed one iota. He showed me that so clearly in in the hospital. That when I get out, I need to make sure our congregation realizes that. None of that has changed. If you've been keeping up with the Bible read, you can trace clearly a parallel between what was happening to Nehemiah and Ezra and what just happened to us. They were in this great work for God. They were on the cusp of completely restoring Jerusalem and the temple and the whole deal. And suddenly opposition appeared, stiff opposition from nowhere. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the the Arab, whoever all those guys were, they began to attack. And, And what did they use to attack? Confusion, intimidation, and fear. It's all the enemy has. That's how he wants to get, get at us. We went reeling when we first got all those notifications of people testing positive and, and all that stuff that happened. We started reeling backwards. 
because we didn't quite get a grasp on it. But the elders stopped the bleeding rather quickly. Thank you, guys. And now we're back on our feet and we're moving forward. And we can't let that intimidation, that confusion, that fear from the enemy affect us. Not at all. We need to be bold in the promises of God and in the word of God. And we need to press on. And I don't know if this can become a reality or not. I know it is in the, in the elders' minds right now that we will never close this church again because of COVID. Amen. We'll work through it. The healthy people will come and we'll pray for the sick people. Here's the other thing God showed me. You know this too because some of you have told me this. Many of us are coming through this even stronger, changed more into the image of Christ than we were before it hit. The church is stronger. We're entering a new era beginning today, a new era of a new level of the Holy Spirit and power upon us. His word is still shepherd your flock to me. Prepare this church to receive the harvest, this mighty move of God's spirit. Disciple the new believers and the converts that God is going to be bringing us. We are to begin again moving forward at full speed ahead. Here's the question. Are, are you listening now? Crucial moment. Are you in? Who's with me? If you are, then I would like you to stand before Melissa comes and prays for us. You can actually come now, Melissa, to the microphone. And if you want to actually show your renewed commitment and that you're in, that you understand what God is saying and doing, and we're going to be a part of it, and we're going to pledge our lives to him, our lives don't matter anymore. I realized that in the hospital. My life is nothing. He spared my life for some reason. Of course, we're thankful. It's for a reason of serving him. And that's it. And when I'm finally done serving him, he'll find a way to take me home somehow. And I'll willingly go. But right now, like I said, it was touch and go in the hospital. I didn't know if I was getting out or not. But he then convinced me that I was, and so I have a work to do. I feel like Nehemiah when, when you're getting the opposition. Hey, who am I to bow to that opposition when God has given me such a strong work to do? We're going to be about that work. So I see some of you kind of already answerly moving out of your pews, and I was going to suggest before Melissa leads us in prayer, if you want to step out of your pew and come up here as a sign of your commitment. We're moving on with God now. We've had it with this stuff. Melissa, as soon as you feel everybody's up here, then you leave in prayer. My wife here.
You know, back when all this was going on, I, I said something to Ron. I said, um, you know, this is going to change our church. I, I, I said, you know, it could go either way. I said, we could lose. I actually know somebody I work with. He said in his church, they lost half their congregation when this hit their church. I said, you know, our church could either fall apart or it will make us stronger. And I was very pleased to see what happened last week when we did get together, a few of us did get together. That was amazing. Dan's sermon, how that, how you elders all pulled this off. Dan's sermon was spot on, real good. Worship time was spot on. The testimonies, everything was amazing. And the change, like Pastor Hub mentioned, the love is so much greater. I have never been hugged so much, you know, since all of this. And it is just so great to see the love and the strength that everyone has coming back. And, you know, and to go along with the message, read Colossians. Colossians is great for living for the kingdom. It really is, is a good book. So um, please join me in prayer. So, Lord, I just thank you for everything that you are doing here in this church. I thank you for the love. I thank you for the strength that everyone has. I thank you for the leadership that we have and for our worship team. And, and Lord, I know there are still some, some members of our church that are not here. Justin is one that comes to my mind. He is very sick. I want to just pray for healing on his body right now, his lungs especially, that you restore him and that you're working mightily in his life, just like you did with Pastor Hub. And Lord, we don't understand why, you know, we shouldn't even ask that reason, why our brother Ray's not here with us, but he had a purpose here and let his legacy live on yes, in Lord. each one of us because there are things like Ray was always carrying a baby around. He, he was just always doing things for others. He was giving out candy to kids. May, may we continue that legacy and even beyond. May he always, his presence always be here with us. And Lord, thank you for the difference that he made in this world. Lord, may we each do that. Help us not to get caught up in this world, living for this world and blending in with this world. It's so easy, you know, the gadgets, the things, and we just become part of the world. We just blend right in. Help us to be different, to stand out. And by doing this, we have to be in your word. We have to be praying and, and living for others. We have to do different. And Lord, may we do different. May you help us strengthen our faith through this. I know, you know, it can be a time of, you know, doubt and everything. I'm praying for strength in our faith and our belief in you at this time. Lord, may we go out stronger and better because you have made us for a time, for the, this time. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.